Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Hi, I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to another podcast, and we are excited today. We're excited every week, but especially today and each time we present the beginning of a brand new teaching session from Warren Litzman. And today, we've got a new one for you, and it's something that he really always specialized in and know so much about, and that is the cross. Let's get right into it. Warren Litzman in part one of the cross. First Corinthians chapter 15. I want to just separate this verse from the context. Don't think it'll do great harm, but uh, I want to separate this verse, which is verse 45. It simply says, and so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, the last Adam, was made a quickening spirit. What is said in this verse goes beyond my human comprehension. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, it's going to help introduce our subject for this conference the things that I have to say about this verse. So if you can bear with me in my scribbling, I'm going to spend some time at the board here. And what I want to do here is put a blockhead up here called Adam. This is a living spirit. No, this is a living soul. You really understand what a living soul is. God breathed into Adam a breath of life and made him a living soul. You'll be surprised how miscomprehended that statement is by great numbers of people. There are some that believe that at that moment everybody received something from God. Air is not God. It's something that's all around us here. So he breathed into them air, like if I gave resuscitation to somebody who had lost their breath, or drowned or something, had water in them. Uh, I wouldn't be giving them any part of myself. I'd be giving them air that's out there for everybody. You have to have air. So a living soul constitutes air. A living soul is what we are. In fact, another word for this would be self. What is a human self? It's a living soul. A human self is the accumulation of everything that's gone to make that human who they think they are or who they think they should be. So that puts a whole list of stuff that constitutes a living soul. Every human has a living soul. He can live and die in that understanding, a soul. But he can easily have a misunderstanding. For instance, in the Old Testament, to get the soul saved was how God dealt with people. That's Old Testament. That belongs under the law. That's a key part of the kingdom message. Notice what I'm saying. 
has nothing to do with being born again, has nothing to do with being saved by grace, has nothing to do with being washed in the blood. So there's a keen distinction between the word soul in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The distinction is in the soul, God saves souls. Now you see how misconception can come out of that because that's the way we talk today as believers. We say, well, I'm going to get that soul saved. Uh, we put on a crusade. We say we're going to have a soul-winning crusade. We're going to save souls. But that's Old Testament. Because a soul saved may not be a soul who is born again at all. And so I wanted to get that before you. And remember, I'm in an introductory part of what our theme will be during this conference. What is a human soul? Well, in the human soul, we have all sorts of things. We have attitude. That makes up the human being. It's whatever makes up the human being. Uh, the human being has certain morals. Uh, the human being has religion. Religion. Did you know that 90% of people who are saved today consider their salvation to be a religious thing. The world considers them to be religious people. You can be that if you never heard of Jesus Christ. You can be religious. I run into religious people all the time. I, I saw on television the other day a snake handler. He's very religious. Anybody can be religious. All cults have very religious people in them. Sports people are very religious at what they do. So that doesn't have anything to do with a change in nature, which we'll get to later. So a living soul can be very religious. All human beings have certain talents. Uh, has certain desires. Every human being has unique abilities. Every human being uh, has vision. Sane ones do. They have a personality. Uh, they have a certain breeding or a certain birthing. They are of a certain race or ethnicity. Let's just put race there. Race becomes ethnicity whenever who you are in your race is more important to you than anything else. Uh, a lot of folks are like that. We have Germans that uh, only want to be as Germans. Italians only want to be as Italians and so forth. We all have a profession. You see, that list could be endless of what a living soul is. Every one of us have bits, pieces, and parts of every one of these 
terms operating in you. You're a living soul, and that makes the human self. Well, over here, we're going to put another circle. This circle is Christ. Now, what happens when a person becomes a Christian? The definition of what a Christian is, is an unknown factor, technically. I don't think anybody has ever really discovered all that a Christian is. To most people, a Christian is a makeup of any number of things. And finally, when you get settled in some building somewhere, it has a special name on it, that's what a Christian is. So that's a growing thing, a Christian. But we've gone beyond that point to where we see that we're in Christ. The human being is in Christ. Now, this is what I want you to see. At some juncture of life, everything this living soul is, is going to have to become a part of Christ if it becomes God's intention. Our text says, Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Well, right off we have a necessity here for some technical knowledge. The only one in the Bible who ever made a distinction between soul and spirit was the Apostle Paul. That's because he knew what a human being was more than anybody else in this book. That was a part of the information that Christ gave him in the final gospel as what a human being is. So Paul wrote that a human being as a living soul is one thing, that's Adam, that's our first natural father birthing. But when we become saved, spiritual people, we have a quickening spirit and that's what Christ is. Well now the objective of God for every human being is that they take this trip from being a living soul to a living Christ. We have scripture for that. Over in Colossians, first chapter, verse 13 says, and you need to mark this. It says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Ah. What was to happen when you were saved? When you were saved, God's intention was that you, with everything you are, would be translated. 
into Christ. Well, it says into the kingdom of His dear Son. So what we're going to have to do here is digress for a moment because this is a very important subject. The word kingdom is used many times in the New Testament. But it must be rightly divided when it is read. Because when Jesus says it, it means something entirely different than when Paul says it. When Peter says it, it means something entirely different than when Paul says it. The word kingdom, in most times that it is used in the Scriptures, the New Testament, is used by Christ and His followers and means the kingdom of heaven on earth. Jesus said to the disciples when He first called them, Go preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was that? That was the kingdom that would be established on earth. What is that kingdom? That's a kingdom that belongs to Israel. It is an earthly kingdom. You see, that kingdom would have been established by Jesus when He was here if the Jews as a government, as a nation, had accepted Him as Messiah. When they turned Him down, then everything that had to do with that kingdom was set aside. Acts 28, 28 says that Israel had become deaf, dumb, and blind and the gospel now would go to the Gentiles. So there was a revolutionary radical change in God's plan that the word kingdom used by Christ, who was here to be king of the kingdom, had to be set aside because of disobedience and the fact that they did not accept their Messiah. They will accept that Messiah. All of the promises concerning with that will take place. All the covenants and promises made to Israel will take place, but they are not in effect now and cannot be in effect until Israel as a nation accepts her Messiah. That won't happen till Jesus comes back to this earth and sits on the throne in Jerusalem. Do you understand that? Don't be caught up with the idea that the church has become the fulfillment of any of those things. It is not and never will be. It wasn't intended to be. But the word kingdom is used by the translators when Paul talks. He uses it in several places, like this verse we're talking about, that we have been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. Well, that's the most explanatory term I could give you, because the kingdom that belongs to Israel, and one day all the nations who join Israel in the millennium will be an earthly kingdom. But when Paul says we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, that's a heavenly kingdom. That's a whole different state. That's a whole different location and has a whole different meaning. Sadly, the translators did not explain all that just by using the word kingdom. But that word radically changed when the gospel was given to the Apostle Paul. You'll find that Paul in his last days was sitting in the rented house he had still under uh, Roman bondage, and it says that he was teaching people about the kingdom of God. But what was that kingdom? That was the kingdom of his dear son. Paul never at any time taught that any part of the kingdom that belongs to Israel belongs to any born-again believer. Why in the world would I want this earth even made better when I have a home with my Father in heaven? So the Scripture's clear on that if you're ready to see it. 
Well, here we have a living soul. And the scripture says, we have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Isn't that good? Does not fit everything Paul teaches us? We're in Christ. We've been baptized into his body in Christ. Everything's in Christ in Paul's message. And so we were translated there. That's a, that's a good word. Because that's not a word that just says uh, uh, you woke up one day and you was there or you, you did a lot of good works and you got there. It means that God by His grace translated every one of us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Sounds good, doesn't it? But you're probably still wondering how you got there. Because most believers have a greater consciousness of being a living soul and identified with the first Adam than they have with the last Adam, Christ. Our identification is still in all of these things. That's who we are. We're not going to spend a lifetime getting rid of those things. We're going to spend a lifetime trying to perfect them. Some spend a lifetime making some of them worse. But the endeavor of a human being is to make better certain things that have happened in his life. So we're all spending our life trying to get a better attitude, better morals, a better religion, better desires, better profession. We're all after something better. All of this has to do with Adam. That's just natural. When you came into this world, your mother and father were recipients of the seed that came from Adam back in the beginning. So your great, 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 great grandfather is Adam. You are of the seed of Adam. Now if God's going to have a family of his own, he'd like not to have it premised on the one fellow who fouled up everything on this earth. You see, the reason why God gave the earth to Israel was that it was his hope that Israel would obey him and do something that Adam had not done. Adam was given the power to rule over the earth. I give unto you power over all the things that are alive, over every tree, every animal, everything. God gave him the power and authority to run this world. And it might help you to know that there's not going to be any forthcoming politicians they'll ever be able to run this earth. Are you aware of that? Nobody since Adam has ever been able to run this world. Well, there'll be a bit of a change in that for a few days when the Antichrist comes along, but that's a part of the business that has to do with Israel. It has nothing to do with us. But nobody has ever had the power and authority to do anything on this earth to run it, to make it right. We got translated into the kingdom of His Son. But you see, there's not very many people who teach that. You see, when you were put into the kingdom of this Son, you were no longer a squarehead with Adam. You became a believer in Christ. That's your position. That's your standing with God. 
How is it you lived all your years and didn't know about that? How is it you grew up probably in a good church, good preachers, and they never told you about being in Christ? How is it you read all the books you read in religion and never were gripped by any statement in it that said you were in Christ and Christ was in you? How did that happen? I have people ask me that all the time. I ask myself that. Oh, Back in 1960, when I first saw the in Christ message, I said to God, how could I have been trained? I've been through university, seminary. I've uh, been the head of two different colleges. And I've heard the greatest speakers and the greatest preachers in our day. And I never heard any of them talk about this. How in the world could that happen? Well, the Lord didn't answer him. I think the Holy Spirit might have whispered and said, it's been in a book all the time. You're just blind. How did it happen? How did it happen? How is it happening that you can live a lifetime today and never come to that knowledge? So what is it religion does? This right religion does Religion takes every one of these things that make up a human being and tries to better it. Our forefathers, the greatest liar that ever lived. In a sense, that's not much of a testimony, but religion is trying to better what our forefather did. We get a better attitude. How many sermons you had on having a good attitude? And they pick scripture out of the Bible everywhere. Morality. How come the world is so immoral today? Religion's done its best to try to make us moral, has it not? We've got all kinds of rules and regulations. Uh, we start with the Ten Commandments, add 640 laws from the Torah, plus all the laws of the denomination, and plus all the laws that particular preacher has. By the time you got through, there's no book that could hold all the laws that's been laid on this dear living soul here. We've done nothing but try to better people. Was that God's plan? Was it ever God's intention to better Adam? The text says, Adam was made a living soul. He was made a living soul. You'll never understand God's plan until you separate soul and spirit. Why did Paul say that? Where's that over in Hebrews 4? God gave him that information as a part of the final gospel because if human beings didn't understand the separation of soul and spirit, they would never come into God's plan. That's why you can sit in a church building for 50 years and never hear the in Christ message. It's because soul and spirit have never been separated. The preacher is still trying to get your soul saved. And your soul never will be saved. That part of you never will be straightened out. In fact, 
when the gospel went to the Gentiles, God gave up trying to straighten out human beings. I hope this is a help to some of you that are trying to get it all fixed right. Because God never intended to straighten out your life. You say, well, I thought that's what the Bible is all about. Not at all. Not the final gospel. The gospel of the kingdom, which has to do with all of these things that are earthly, always tells you to get such and such straightened out. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Commands here. Commands there. Law here. Law there. The Apostle Paul never lays down one law in the final gospel. God's not going to straighten out human beings anymore. The Apostle Paul never deals with getting souls saved anymore. God took care of that himself because when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, where does the Holy Spirit work? Only in the soul. Where is the life? In the Son. Christ. So it was never God's intention to straighten all that out. It was never His intention to make you think right. Do right. In our new Church in the Home uh, video series, I spent some time on the subject of the commandments that are in grace. Grace has commandments. But every one of those commandments are love commandments. I have counted 377 commandments that Paul gives. And I haven't gotten through the book of Hebrews yet. 377 of them up the book of Hebrews. All commands. But not a one of them has a judgment attached to it. Not a one of them says if you don't do this, you'll go to hell. Not a one. There's no judgment in grace. So it's so important to separate soul and spirit. If you don't start with that understanding, you'll never grow up in Christ. So we've been translated. But how did that translation take place? Out of this little scribbling I've done on the board, I've left out the most important thing God ever did. It's the connection between these two lives. Please spell that right. I-S-T. Got to spell wrong over here too. What's left out of this picture? Most important thing God ever did. When I make a blank statement to you that says God never intended that you live the Christian life, I'll write that mean right.
when I say to you that God's not in the business of straightening out your life, how in the world can I get by with that? Because that's what you think religion is, and actually that's what religion is. Religion is man's attempt to straighten us out. To correct us. To get us fixed right. To open us up to any and all things that was in God's intention. The cross. The cross of Christ. God has to do something Himself that's akin to the creation of a living soul, the first great thing He did to get this thing fixed. He did it at Calvary. He did it at the cross. I'm going to tell you some things about the cross that may upset you a bit. But when people come to me and say, why didn't we know about the in Christ message? I'm going to tell you plainly, you don't understand the cross. That seems strange, doesn't it? Because there's more than one of you that's got one hanging around your neck now. Some of you got one in your ear. You go to buildings that have them on except the... I noticed a lot of Reformed churches here have roosters on them. I don't know where they are. <laughs> I, I never have figured out what that meant. But the cross. Everybody knows about the cross. That's the best-selling piece of jewelry there is. The cross. But I'm here to tell you that the problem in Christianity has to do with the cross. What is it that translated us from the kingdom of darkness To Christ the light. What did that? It was a cross. So I want to tell you something bluntly. The cross belongs to the born again. Doesn't belong to religion. Doesn't belong to orthodoxy. The cross belongs to the born again. Everybody uses it. Just like everybody can wear one. Saw a fellow the other day that had one uh, hanging around his neck, a big one. I said, that's a pretty big cross. Yeah, he said, mama makes me wear that. <laughs> but it didn't belong to him. Cross really had nothing to do with him. How many songs we have written about the cross? It's a very popular thing. 
So I'm going to tell you that the cross really belongs to grace. Now when I mention the word cross, I mean more than just the death of Jesus Christ. Because Christ died for our sins. Paul said that. But that's only half of what happened. The cross goes deeper into God's message than I'll ever be able to explain or tell you about. But the cross belongs to grace. I just jotted down several things it doesn't belong to. The cross belongs to grace, not to covenant people. Why? A covenant is where you place yourself under a law. There are no such things in grace. The cross does not belong to holiness people. Now I'm saying this figuratively because most holiness people believe in the cross. But it doesn't belong to them because they still think there's something they have to do to please God. The cross doesn't belong to faith people. People in faith ministries are constantly telling you if you don't get any more faith, you won't get what you want from God. Isn't that so? You ever hear one of them? I used to be one of them. The cross doesn't belong to faith people. The cross doesn't belong to signs, wonders, and miracles people. Because once again, their understanding of God is premised on you doing something. I digress for a moment. How many times you've taken one of these things and tried to change it in your own life? How hard you work on it? It's like trying to lose weight, isn't it? You did it for a little while, but finding to be you, you had to go back and pick it up again. Cross doesn't belong to circumcision people. Cross doesn't belong to Judaizers. That's the people who are trying to get the church to take over Israel's covenants and promises. Cross doesn't belong to them. If if they can take over Judaism, what do they need a cross for? Cross doesn't belong to Pentecostals. Now, all of these people I've mentioned that you are attaching names to, as I gave them to you, are people who preach the cross one way or another, but doesn't belong to them. Because as long as anybody works at attempting within them own selves to become something, they don't need this cross. As long as you think you have to do something to please God, you don't need the cross.
I could tell. I can hear it already. It's going through your mind. My Lord, I've been doing those things. <laughs> you don't need the cross. That's why I'm telling you, there's things about the cross we don't understand. Well, how about that for part one of the cross? Oh, wow. Warren Litzman knew so much about this subject matter, as he does so many others, but was always able to put it in a way that regular people like us could understand. And this was a great first day of the first session of his teaching on the cross. Now, please visit our website, learn more about us, the Christ Life Fellowship. The website is at christ-life.org, christ-life.org. Read all about us and go into that bookstore and get some great material for your own home that Warren left behind for us. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these great sessions. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by the wonderful and talented Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.